welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 55th episode, our guest is Asia McLean Chapman. Asia McLean Chapman will be familiar to fans of the first season of the Serial Podcast. If you haven't listened to that yet, you should probably go back and listen to it before hearing this episode. It will make a lot more sense. Last year, she released her book, Confessions of a Serial Alibi, which tells the story of her journey from ordinary library patron to a key alibi witness for a non-Syed. In the book, McLean discusses everything from her memories of Woodlawn High School to her conversations with several key individuals such as Anand Syed, Rabia Chaudhry, Justin Brown, Gary Proctor, and former state's prosecutor Kevin Urich. Asia McLean Chapman was born on June 26, 1981 in Inglewood, California. Her parents, Carl and Michelle McLean, were separated in 1986, resulting in her relocation to Baltimore, Maryland. After growing up in Baltimore County school system, Asia graduated from Woodlawn High School in 1999 and proceeded to college. In search of a fresh start, Asia made the decision to drive across the country in 2005. After several years of living in Portland, Oregon, and working full-time as a personal assistant, Asia met her now-husband, Philip Chapman, in 2008. The couple married in 2009, and they are now proud parents of three rambunctious little boys, Lucas, Alexander, and Ethan Chapman. Located in Spokane, Washington, Asia spends her days as a stay-at-home mother, board secretary of Solutions Automation, and small business owner of Diamond Concepts. In addition to her commitments to her businesses, Asia enjoys web designing, writing, cooking, gardening, and working with her hands, in addition to participating in events with her local Moms Club chapter and church. And now on to the show. Please announce yourself. Rob Burgess. Hello, Rob. Hey, how's it going? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm pretty good. Did you get your taxes done? No, I don't do it. Um, I have a whole slew of things I'm doing today. I just totally got in the zone, you know. Oh, no problem. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you want to just go ahead and start out by just letting people know whatever you want them to know about you here to start out with. Oh, oh I didn't realize we were actually on the show. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> well, um, as you know, um, I'm actually a key alibi witness in the Anand Sai case that's currently being um, fought out in court right now. Um, I went to high school with Anand Saeed and Heyman Lee back in 1999, um, and just through a, a, a wacky turn of events, um, I happened to be in the same place at the same time that the state um, has since argued that Anon committed his murder. Um, and um, thanks to um, Sarah Koenig um, and her, the creation of the Serial Podcast, um, I became enlightened to a lot of case details um, that I, I had no previous knowledge of. And um, like many of everyone else in the world, um, I was cap captivated by a lot of the case details, and um, it influenced me to come forward with the information that, that I attempted to present back in 1999. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's pretty much it. And right. um, since that time, we've um, been back in court um, arguing um, issues regarding ineffective assistance of counsel. And right now, the, the state and the defense team are basically duking it out, going back and forth with their appeals, um, trying, you know, to establish whether or not we're going to have an actual retrial or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that was a pretty good summation of everything. Um, what was it like to grow up in Baltimore? I know you don't live there anymore, but um, to people that have never been there, uh, how would you describe kind of the area and stuff? Um, Baltimore is an interesting city. Um, we have a lot of um, racial and cultural diversity. Um, where Woodlawn High School is located is kind of a strange area because uh, technically Woodlawn is considered a Baltimore 
Baltimore County School. Um, but the city-county line is uh, it's obviously not a straight line that goes through the city. Um, so it kind of bends and weaves. And um, the area where Woodlawn is located, um, for all intensive purposes, is it might as well be in Baltimore City because you have areas right around the corner from it that are considered the county um, and areas around the other side of it that are considered the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, with the Baltimore education system, uh, you do have county schools and city schools. Um, and back when when we were growing up, county schools tended to be a little bit better as far as having uh, more academic programs and receiving more money from the state. Um, so they were looked at as, as a little bit better schools. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as growing up in Baltimore, um, like I said, that's also um, that was also pretty interesting because because of the the different um, back then in the county culture versus the city culture. You know, a lot of people that lived in Baltimore County, um, where I grew up, were black um, Arab. Um, Asian and Jewish, mm-hmm. um, and so um, it was. It was interesting because in the city you tend you tend to have a you tend to have a higher um, solely black population, mm-hmm. um, and then the further you get into the city, you you know you tend to get into to more lower income. Um, housing and um, neighborhoods, and so growing up in Baltimore as a, a county kid, you, as we would say, um, you are always torn between um, two different kinds of environments, you know, the the suburb, um, seemingly more safe neighborhoods versus, mm-hmm. you know, the, the lower income, more um crime-populated neighborhoods. Um, and so Woodlawn was just kind of right in, in the middle, on the cusp mm-hmm. of, of the uh, the city. So um, that was a different experience from what a lot of um, people who lived deeper into the county, you know, that had mm-hmm. less experience or less proximity to um, the city. Right. Does that make any sense? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I've heard it described as a hyper segregated city. It just seems like it's kind of, you know, there's there's the really really low income parts, and then there's the pretty mm-hmm. pretty nice places too. But they're they're not in the same places from what it sounds like here. So. Exactly. So the further east you go, like more towards downtown, mm-hmm. it tends to get a little bit more r- rough. And the more west you go, um, the more you're going to be um, in the more suburban areas, areas that have more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, where we grew up was just, like, smack in, in the middle of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, even within my own neighborhood, the further west you went, the, the more you went into, um, you know, the higher-income neighborhoods, like the Orthodox Jewish mm-hmm. uh, neighborhoods. And, um, in fact, the, the middle school that, that Hay and I um Attended was as uh, Pikesville Middle School, and 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 back then that neighborhood was basically all Orthodox Jew, Jewish. Um, mm-hmm. So it just, um, like you said, it, it's it was a very polarizing city. Um, it still is, uh, but the the the. I guess you could say the the lines have moved a little bit mm-hmm. as far as. Um, um, income level, mm-hmm. so it's not the same as when I lived there. Right, right. Um, now, the people at the center of this story you were uh, obviously connected with somehow, from, but from your letters, it doesn't sound like you knew Hay or, or Adnan that well. It's just kind of more like acquaintances. Is that right? It, exactly. Um, I didn't know them personally, mm-hmm. but um, growing up, and even till this day, I have a I have a group of best friends, uh, six people that I have uh, carried with me from elementary school, a couple from middle school until now, into our thirties, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
back in high school, um, a lot of my those those key individuals were involved in the magnet program. So they had a lot of the same classes with Hay and Anon. Um, in addition, um, I was also a, a high school athlete, and so um, just in that environment alone, uh, we crossed paths on, on multiple occasions, um, you know, after school or, um, of, you know, games, pep rallies, um, things of that nature, uh, you know, during practices when um, the sports let out for the, the afternoon. Uh, so we all knew each other, but as far as uh, personal opinions, I didn't know them on that level. Um, but there were often um, social situations where, you know, we interacted with one another, uh, things, like I said, uh, games, after-school activities, uh, dances, proms. Um, I just never had an opportunity to um, engage in personal contact, like phone calls, and right. um, where, I, where I really got to know them. Mm-hmm. What about Jay? Were you close to him at all, or...? No, he was even a little bit um, less unknown to me, mm-hmm. mainly because um, he was an upperclassman to the three of us, uh-huh. um, so he was a little older. But he wasn't and, in the magnet uh, the program either, though, the, right? Yeah, exactly, and he, he wasn't in the magnet program, so uh, even though I, I wasn't in the magnet program, but like I said, all of my um, best right. friends were, mm-hmm. um, so I, I was like an honorary magnet kid because, you know, I was always with them and right. in that that circle anyway. <clears throat> Even right. though I didn't have the same classes. So Right, right. And then how did you find out what happened to Hay or kinda of get word of, of what was what was happening when it first was all all going down there? Well, um, I mean, just a rumor mill of typical high school. You come to school one day and someone's missing and everyone's gossiping about where she might have went. And then a few weeks later, um, you know, between the rumor mill of high school and on the news, um, everybody knew what mm-hmm. happened. Right. Um, you know, or I wouldn't say what happened, but as far as um, her body being found. Mm-hmm. Right. And then uh, from your letters, it seems like it was kind of a split opinion about what people thought about Adnan if he was guilty or not is that kind of how you saw it just kind of a some people thought he was guilty and some people didn't Oh yeah, I mean you ha- you had people who were <clears throat> closer in in the friendship circle between him and Anon mm-hmm. that um you know had their polarizing opinions as well um there mm-hmm. were people who and, and I wouldn't even when I think about it I wouldn't even say that um like when people talked about it, um, him being arrested, it wasn't, it wasn't, I never heard anyone say like, oh, you know, I think he, he killed her mm-hmm. uh, for this, because of this reason, or like, it was just more so people who didn't know him mm-hmm. that had a blanket opinion, um, basically, you know, well, there has to be a good reason why he, why they're still holding him. There has to be a reason why he's still in jail. Mm-hmm. You know, something's going on if he's still being held by the police, that kind of sen- sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were people who knew him mm-hmm. that um, couldn't believe it. And then there were people such as myself who couldn't make heads or tails of the situation because I didn't. You know, I didn't know him good enough um, to to really have a a personal opinion on whether I thought he was capable. And um, I wasn't going to um, try to talk out of both sides of my neck and say, oh, well, you know, he probably did it or something of that nature because I didn't didn't know him well enough to make a... a, um, to have an opinion. Right. Well, uh, and then I'm sure some people had, like, confirmation bias going on, and they were kind of confirming what they already believed about him to start with, you know what I mean? So it's it's like if you already yeah. thought he was a good and guy, then, it's and, like I can't believe he did this. And then you had the situation where the police were beginning to uh, conduct student interviews, mm-hmm. and so some of the questioning was being leaked back into the, the student population via rumors mm-hmm. and 
Um, and then, you know, the old game of telephone, so, you know, by the time someone who actually was engaged in a police interview came back with their story and their experience, by the time it got to someone like me who knows, you know, how contorted um, the, the, the description of the, the experience and the questions uh, from the police could have been, so... Mm-hmm. Right. So did people's perceptions change over time then as as the kind of trial and the investigations and things happen? Um, well, I never I never followed the, the trial. Um, mm-hmm. Just back then, I mean, if any, if you know, we're all adults. If you try to think back to your senior year in high school in the summer and the fall that followed, you know, mm-hmm. um, you're you're typically focused on moving forward and becoming right. an adult and going off to college, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So I never followed the trial, but just the general consensus. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, con- <laughs> consensus that I got from my friends and um, just people who knew them, um, it just kind of seemed like everyone assumed there, there, um, must have been, um, proper reasoning for him to remain in jail and his conviction. Um, I'm not even entirely sure if I have friends that attended the trial. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I do. Um, but it, it was such a sore topic of discussion. Mm-hmm. It's not something that me and my friends continued to, to talk about. Right. Um, you know, um, you know, when you think about it, that that's, for many of us, that's the first experience that we ever had with murder and and malice and um, um, someone that we know being convicted and and, and um, even arrested of something so mm-hmm. heinous. So it you know even to this day. Um, it's not something that me and my friends talk about, even with all the the media. Um, I think me and my best friends have probably discussed it once when I actually was there for the post conviction hearing. Right. And um, you know, we didn't even talk about details. They just wanted to know how how I was doing. But you know, um, they don't want to talk about the death of their friend and sure. the incarceration of another friend. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Um, that yeah, makes sense I to me. So. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things where you know people are sad to say, but people moved on, mm-hmm. and it just it just became uh, you know well you know because we were seventeen and we were so young we just trusted the um, the criminal justice system and we we you know we assumed that there had to be good reasons. Right. Now, when you wrote those two letters uh, in March of '99, um, you mm-hmm. had you visited with his family before you did that, and was that because you kind of realized, oh, wait a second, this me seeing him at the library actually means something in this case? Was that kind of the way it went? Yeah. So, so what happened is, you know, I ended up having a discussion with my ex. He was a classmate of mine, mm-hmm. and uh, in, in a class, and um, I ended up telling him. Uh, what I remembered, and um, he said to me, you know, you should really think about telling the family, and I said, oh, you know, I'm not going to bother, it's, that's, you know, it was a few minutes, you know. mm-hmm. and he said, no, you know, um, from what I understand, the police, you know, they, they're looking for information, the family's looking for information, you know, it may be nothing that you, I'm going over to the family's house tonight just to show my support, you know, I can come pick you up and take you with me and you can tell them what you know, you know, I said, okay, fine, and so... Uh, we went over there, and I told the family what I knew. They thanked me for the information. Um, as I recall, they um, they they explained to me that there was um, um, they were in the process, or the the police, or the you know I don't know if it was the police, the, the, mm-hmm. the attorney, or the family themselves, um, or even a non. Right. Um, but but someone was in the process of putting a timeline together of. Um, of the day that Hay went missing. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I can only assume in order to, to place Anon's whereabouts. Um, mm-hmm. And so it had been explained to me that um, from 2.15 when school let out to about 8 o'clock, um, they were trying to put together um, the timeline for that window of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I told the family about the... the, the um, seeing it on, um, you know, I don't even think that they 
you know, could appreciate this significance because at the time we had no idea of um, the timeline that the state was arguing as far as um, the time of the murder, the time of death. And so my experience with him was only a 15 to 20 minute um, Mm -hmm. situation. So it was just kind of like, okay, well, you're looking to put a timeline together. Well, I can contribute this 15 to 20 minutes. It's not much, but I know that's when I saw him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one thought really anything of it, I, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I came home, um, I was just so shaken by the experience, I decided to write an on a letter. And in the letter, I made sure to mention that I had spoken with the family and that I remember seeing him on this day. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason that, that I actually put that in the letter was in the event that the family did not communicate to him that I had provided that information. I wanted to make sure that he had that information. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, um, jump, yeah, sorry. You know, so that if it was important, mm-hmm. you know, he would know to have his attorneys reach out to me. Right, and, right. And when I never heard anything back, naturally I just assumed that, you know, 15 to 20 minutes was inconsequential to mm-hmm. the situation, you know, in itself. So. Yeah. Well, no, that was my next question because I was going to ask if you were surprised that no one ever followed up with you during the first couple trials. No, there. I mean, think about how many times you run into someone mm-hmm. that you met at a party through another friend at a Starbucks or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, you're not going to think that, um, oh, this person, uh, someone died on this day in that 15, you know, mm-hmm. 20-minute conversation that you had with that person is, is important. Mm-hmm. Um, so when no one ever called me, I just assumed that, it was a 15 to 20 minute time that was in, insignificant and they didn't need to document that time, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now I'm jumping forward a little bit, the, at the, the thing that you testified at this last year here, um, they tried to say something about the second letter wasn't actually written on the day that it said it was. Was that a thing that they were trying to prove? Yeah, they, they tried to, um, I don't know. That was that was just odd. Yeah, I don't understand what they were um, getting at with that exactly. Like you, from what I understand, what I've heard from people, um, like on Twitter and mm-hmm. things of that nature, is that there there's a there is a, um, a I'm sorry I'm I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> there's a group of individuals that that put these conspiracy theories together. And one of those conspiracy theories is that the second letter that I wrote was somehow um, backdated and that it was written mm-hmm. later, um, a few weeks later, mm-hmm. and that um, <laughs> that I'm somehow a part of a ploy to provide a false alibi and that the letter was something that was um, requested of me from Anand Mm. and that was perpetrated later and backdated to serve as an, you know, an alibi. I don't know. It's right. It's all bizarre to me. Well, it doesn't um, even make I, sense because I'm the first letter. Told. Yeah. <laughs> the, I mean, you're saying that basically the same things as in the first letter, which they're not disputing. So I don't understand what good. I don't. It doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't add up to me. But um, I don't know. Um, you know, the internet. It's a weird. Yeah, the, yeah, the internet. Yes, I will agree with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> The second letter was just a follow-up to to the first right. because after I went to school and the gossip got to me, I had additional questions. And mm-hmm. so it's just this is a 17-year-old kid, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to find out what's truth and what's gossip and just having additional questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a mailbox. My house used to be... Um, the second house from the, the corner on the street where I lived, and on mm-hmm. the corner was a blue mailbox. And so, um, you know, every day, if if I, well, not every day, but if I caught the school bus or every day that I left my house, you know, at some point I'm passing that mailbox. So it's not like, mm-hmm. um, it's not hard to imagine that, you know, writing a letter one day, leaving out the house and dropping it in the mailbox and Mm -hmm. writing another letter the next day. I don't understand, like, why so many people find that to be bizarre, especially Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about the mindset of a 17-year-old girl. Sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, kind of after the tr- uh, conviction, uh, Rabia Shadri had, uh, at, at, at her request, you wrote an affidavit uh, kind of saying the same things you'd said in the letter. Um, and then mm-hmm. years later, from I'm going off of what I heard in Serial, so correct me if I get any of this wrong, uh, Adnan's new lawyer hired, hired a private investigator, and then I guess your fiancé at the time said you weren't interested in talking, and then you had called one of the prosecutors. Yeah, he, he was actually yeah. my, my husband. Oh, he was your husband, but okay. Actually, gotcha. Yeah, we, we'd only been married for a few months. Ah, okay. But, um, he was approached by the private detective. Right. And I and him to you know gather the contact information and and tell them that I would follow up mm-hmm. um, okay. you know and, and let the person know that that he would get in contact with me with that you mm-hmm. know and so um, just again still being in a younger mindset not knowing what I know today and not mm-hmm. being experienced in the criminal justice system I made the mistake of reaching out to someone um, the only person that I, I could think of that um, that I thought was going to be a more neutral party mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and looking back you know of course I can do nothing but shake my head and and hit my and hit myself because um, I know now that mm-hmm. you know prosecutors are, are certainly not neutral, even in the face of right. truth and justice. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so th- when you had called them, though, did you say that they had pressure? I mean, was that the uh, was the pressure being applied to you to write no, that? Is that I what happened? Know what was going on? Right. Why these people were reaching out to me? Mm-hmm. Was the case uh, was it, was the case back in court for some reason? Um, mm-hmm. You know why after all that time would someone spend money to send someone clear across the country mm-hmm. to try to locate me. Um, and this was and years so, after the fact, right? This was like, how long was this? What, what ten, year was this that? This is like 10 years later. Yeah, it's like, wait, that would freak me out too. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And so, you know, at the time, mm-hmm. um, I want to say Google was still fairly new. Mm-hmm. And because I remember um, after he gave me the contact information, I remember getting on the internet and trying to like, I don't know if it was Google that I used, um, but trying to like use search engines to, to find anything out, you know, about the case. Mm-hmm. And all I could find were old Baltimore Sun articles. And mm-hmm. um, it was during that time that I ended up seeing the prosecutor's name and 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 got the harebrained idea to give him a call and ask him the question mm. to determine you know if if I needed to call the defense attorney or what was going on mm-hmm. uh because apparently um I didn't know this until last year mm. um but the private investigator was supposed to had a letter for me mm-hmm. um explaining what was going on but because um my husband merely took her information and said that he knew me. He could get her information to me. She did not provide him mm. with a letter or a copy of that letter. So, you know, all I had was literally um, Justin Brown's business card, mm. and so which is in the new defense attorney. So mm-hmm. I had no idea um, why they were reaching out to me. Hmm. Interesting. Now, in 2012, uh, the Kevin Urich told you not to testify at the post-conviction hearing. Was that right? Or what um, was what was that? I wouldn't. I'm not going to come out and say that he told me not to testify, but uh-huh. he gave me information that definitely influenced um, my decision to not contact them mm. and not get involved. Okay. Um, and he did express to me his own personal opinions, in addition to uh, trial details, mm-hmm. um, or shall I say. Um, Details that he perceived to be, uh, that he, 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 not perceived, but he, there were things that he made seem as though they were evidence and, hmm. and truth about the case mm-hmm. and the trial um, that I know now. 
mm-hmm. or not true or not true in their entirety, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Oh, no, I mean, he's trying to prosecute a case. I mean, that's his job is to, exactly. you know, prove what he's trying to prove, not necessarily to get at the truth of it. So, mm-hmm. and, uh, you can, and you can influence, um, you can make someone think and you can take someone down a particular road mm-hmm. of thought sure. without ever saying specific words. You know what uh, I mean? Oh, like yeah. You can, like you can say, oh, we found DNA at the crime scene, but you could negate to mention that the DNA was never tested. Yes. That's and so the person you're, think, you're yeah. talking to is thinking, oh, well, they found dude's DNA at the crime scene. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a done deal, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Exactly. Um, so after Serial aired, um, you wrote a new affidavit in, in 2015. Was that just to kind of nail everything down after the story oh, yeah. was out there? Well, I mean, especially after hearing about the Kevin Urich, the Kevin, uh, Urich testimony at the mm-hmm. post-conviction hearing, um, that was just... That flabbergasted me because I never even knew that he testified during the mm-hmm. first post-conviction hearing. So you could imagine um, um, how I felt hearing mm-hmm. him relay a conversation to the court and, and describe it in, in a manner that was completely inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, with the with the way that serial was produced, they ended the series. Um, without explaining a lot of information because things were happening in real time mm-hmm. um and and plainly put i i didn't i didn't give my permission mm-hmm. to release certain information because i was trying to find legal representation because things were getting really out of control at that point oh, yeah. um and I wasn't quite sure of what my rights and responsibilities were. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there there's much to be explained about um, the reason why Serial ended the way that it did, and, and it was just mainly because there were things that, that were being purposely held back mm. just for um, integrity's sake. Mm. Um, and that's one thing that I do commend Sarah on, um, you know, She's she's very um, she's a very ethical journalist, and you know if mm-hmm. when she says things are off the record, they maintain um, themselves as being off the record. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I remember one episode where it was just all a bunch of rumors, but she didn't like let it slip any of the things like person one and person two, and like you know what I mean. Like she was mm-hmm. very careful to not let certain details slip, so mm-hmm. that is good. Um, and so after I found out about the 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 whole. Um, the Kevin York. I mean, this was literally in. I was trying to find a lawyer to ask questions. Literally, probably about two to three days before the last episode aired, mm-hmm. um, and so I wasn't able to find a lawyer until after that. So there were there were things that were not put in a final episode, mm-hmm. um, just because I was uncomfortable with certain information being released on that scale because Cyril had already went viral. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't want to do anything that was going to, um, you know, jeopardize um, the integrity. Um, um, But, yeah, so after, you know, because I I was educated a lot from listening to Cyril myself Mm -hmm. because I never followed the case. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what happened at the post-conviction hearing, so I didn't know that Kevin Urich was involved um, and that he had testified about uh, my conversation with him. I didn't know um, how he testified and the inaccuracy of that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I was I was angry when I heard about it. Um, mm-hmm. it. It's like it's one thing to have someone tell uh, um, an untruth about you, and it's another thing for for that person to tell the whole world. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I. I didn't like the way that the situation had been had been painted uh, because, like I said, there was a lot of information that was not presented. It kind of skewed the the story, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And I was upset because I had no idea the impact 
of um, my lack of testimony. And so, Mm -hmm. of course, I wanted to do the right thing, um, knowing what I had found out. And Mm -hmm. so um, the first thing I did was have a conversation with my husband, of course, because because the story had had went so viral, it was so popular, mm-hmm. you can't get involved with something like that without it affecting your family. So oh, my yeah. first course of action was to have a conversation with my husband, um, talk it over with him, and um, we made the decision together mm-hmm. that we were going to um, reach out and you know get the information out on the table so that they could do whatever they needed to do with it. Um, present it to a judge so we could, you know, actually get all of the information out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when I obtained my own counsel and began uh, drafting a new affidavit so that that information could become officially on the record. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike back in 1999 when right. I was never contacted. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, when you did finally testify at the post-conviction relief hearing last year, uh, what did that feel like to finally get your story out there? I'm sure that was a long time um, coming. Well, I mean, that was crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember being in Baltimore and being scared to go anywhere hmm. because I, you know, the case was, especially in, in Baltimore, it, it was so popular that mm-hmm. I didn't know. And in, and in fact, I actually did have people that actually come up to me um, in a restaurant. Mm. Um, and so, I, you know, I was very uneasy the, the whole time I was there um, just because, you know, I'm not experienced with this type of uh, attention. And so mm-hmm. um, it was very nerve-wracking to um, come to fly to Baltimore and um, testify. But, you know, ultimately I felt it was the right thing to do because, um, you know, at the end of the day, there is a person's life at stake and there is, um, you know, hey, we, we need to know without a shadow of a doubt um, who's responsible and what actually happened, you mm-hmm. know. Right. Now, are you going to have to testify again? possible at this point. Yeah, it's so long after the fact. I mean, this would have been helpful years mm-hmm. ago, of course. But um, are you going to have to testify coming up if there is a new trial, do you know? or? Um, well, that just depends. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not really privy to the defense argument. I'm not really mm-hmm. buddy-buddy with the state of Maryland at this point. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of hate me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I would assume so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really just depends on what kind of argument the state has. You sure. know, if they choose to, ch- to change the time of death, then my experience with the non is, is insignificant because mm-hmm. um, it's back to being a 15 to 20 minute t- time period that just fills in the space on the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, if the time of death is not changed and that is the argument going forward, then of course that's going to conflict with that argument because, mm-hmm. you, you know, physics says you can't be in the same place, well, two different places at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, it just it just really depends on what the lawyers want to do going forward. Right, um, right. All I can do is make myself available to the state and the defense and tell the truth about what I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, you're basically the impetus for the entire Serial podcast. Just basically, you know, when Sarah Koenig reached out to you, that seemed like it was kind of the spark that, uh, you know, lit it off. Uh, how has your life changed since this all happened? I can't imagine what it must be like to be the center of the most popular podcast of all time. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's been a crazy, crazy roller coaster. Um, <laughs> Full of new experiences, some positive and some very negative. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely tested my metal and thickened my skin. Um, I'm a little bit smarter and I'm a little bit stronger for it. Um, at the end of the day, I would not take the experience back because it's it's beyond me. It's more than just me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's about the murder of someone who was a true, truly sweet individual, mm-hmm. um, someone who had a lot of promise, who did not in any way, shape, or form deserve their fate. Mm-hmm. And um, it's about a, a young man that may or may not be innocent, um, 
you know, of the, the crime. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when I'm 80, 90 years old and I look back, you know, I want to look back on this experience knowing that I did the right thing. You know, I can't control um, the, the ethics of um, the attorney general's office. I can't control the argument of the defense. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if Anon is guilty or innocent, so all I can do is continue to shout my experience and what I know mm-hmm. as loud as I can and hope to God that someone actually is listening this time. Yeah. Um, now, I was, you know, of course, listening to this from afar, and, you know, when it first came out, I was, you know, it was it was a great deal of entertainment to me, but I listened back to it now, and I kind of, you know, felt bad about feeling so, you know, enthralled about it. I mean, it's a well-told story, of course, but at the same time, it's like, like you said, there's a murder of a teenage girl at the center of this. So do you think there's something sick or wrong about people taking entertainment out of this, you know, even though it's after the fact? I mean, what's your take on that? I, I, I don't, only because, like you said, the story was so well put together. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I myself was captivated by it. I, right. I listened I listened to the first two episodes, um, kind of freaked out. My husband told me to just walk away, <laughs> and I couldn't. And um, it took some time, but I came back, and I binge-watched the um, – watched. Binge. <laughs> well, it's like a TV show. That's to, funny you say that. It is yeah, kind of like a TV exactly. show. Exactly. Yeah. I listened to the remainder of the podcast myself in about eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from a storytelling perspective, you know, Sarah did an, an excellent job. Um so I don't think there's anything wrong about people enjoying it from an entertainment mm-hmm. perspective. What I do think is wrong is when people forget mm-hmm. that it's real life, that right. these are real people. Um, what I do think is wrong is when I talk to people about it and they refer to Hay or Anon or myself as a character. Right. Yeah. I think that's wrong. But I mean it it to 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 um to I'm sorry. <laughs> to uh error is human nature. Sure. You know? Um so what can you do? <laughs> um, I'm <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, when did you start thinking about writing your own book about the case? Because this is only one of two books that's out. The other one's, of course, by Rabia Chaudhry. And uh, have you read her book? Yeah. Um, well, it was sometime after, you know, when we were preparing for the post-conviction hearing mm-hmm. and the stress with, um, of having to go to Baltimore uh, began to mount on me. I started actually writing a journal um, because at the time I was being instructed, to, you, know, you know, not to talk to the media, not to talk to anyone about the case um, because everyone wanted to make sure that that what I had to say was well and properly documented. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, the internet is a crazy place. Yep. Um, and so I didn't really have anyone to talk to about the situation except for my husband because like I said, my best friends, they don't want to talk about it because mm-hmm. it's a negative experience. Mm-hmm. My mom, she still to this day doesn't quite understand. <laughs> and, you know, my husband, you know, God save him, he he got tired of him. He complained all the time. So I to a journal. <laughs> and uh, that, that was helpful for a little while. But then it got to the point where I realized that even though I was getting these emotions out, mm-hmm. it was still me sitting, laying across my bed writing essentially to myself, you know? Yeah. And um and so I started to share my my thoughts and just in conversation, um it was recommended to me mm-hmm. that perhaps I should write a book. And initially I was like, Ah oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know. I, I even had a have a friend of mine that jokingly sent me uh a, a book cover that he designed, um, and I can't even, I could probably find it because I keep everything, but he had made up a name for the book, and, and he's a graphic artist, so he had made up a, a picture, and, I, and you know, I laughed at it, and I said, you know, dude, you're, you're stupid, you know, you're crazy, <laughs> and so I laughed it off, and um, it wasn't until after the post-conviction hearing when the stress really began to melt again because up until that, um, 
the media was still referring to me as Asia McLean, and no one knew mm. what my current um, married last name was. Mm-hmm. And so after I testified, you know, I, during, during the the, the, the um, PCR, I was not given the option to, to remain anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I testified, my name was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and just... And then the, with the reports of the PCR, you know, everyone went to weigh in with their own personal opinions. Mm-hmm. And when you're not, um, when you're not experienced with that kind of negative attention, um, it only amplifies your stress. And mm-hmm. so, um, I began to see accounts of my testimony and accounts of the situation that were completely misconstrued. Um, things that were completely inaccurate, and not only did it upset me, but it lit a fire under me. And um, I was simultaneously introduced to a publishing company um, that was interested in my story, and so they gave me less than two months to finish, to turn that journal into a book. Wow. <laughs> that's that's a short turnaround time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, you know... My husband, uh, he is an entrepreneur, and uh, um, at the time he was doing a lot of work from home, so he took care of the kids while I locked myself in our downstairs office and typed for 13 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how the book came came about. Right. Now, what's been their reaction to it, and what kind of what's also been like uh, being a you know a private person for so long, and now you're kind of out in public now? What's that been like? Um, the reaction for the book has been overall positive. Um, I think that, I mean, the book is, 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 it's not, you know, I didn't do a lot of, uh, background into the case. Um, mm-hmm. so I didn't dive into the whole experience because I don't know the whole experience. Mm-hmm. The book is about my experience right. and my experience starts when Hay went missing. Mm-hmm. And so um, the book is more of a companion piece to the serial podcast, if you will. Um, and so the, the reaction has been positive in the sense that it gives another layer to the story. It clarifies a lot of the misconceptions, a lot of the things that I saw in on the Internet that were inaccurate. Um, so for people who are really interested in the story as in, an, in its entirety, um, because you know how life is, um, you can have a, a situation go down and you never are fully aware of all the little pieces that came together mm-hmm. to, to make it... Um, to make, to make it lay out the way that it did. And so there's there's a lot of that with this story. A lot of situations where um, something could have went left and it went right, if you know what I mean. Um, I mean, just for me being in the library that day, which was not something I normally did, mm-hmm. um, I could have easily have not been there. Um, and then this whole experience would have never happened. And so for people who are looking for that other layer, that, that Sears serial podcast and what actually happened together mm-hmm. um, and and something that actually explains how, how those coincidental things mm-hmm. or those uh, things in the podcast that, that don't really make a bunch of sense or, or, like I said, some of the things that weren't even featured in, the, in the, the information that wasn't even featured in the podcast because at the time I did not want to give Sarah permission to um, talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, that the book, that's the purpose of the book is to set the record straight and to just give that, that extra layer of context to this whole situation. Mm-hmm. So for people who have been, um, really drawn in by the story and really hunger for the full perspective, um, and all of the information, it's a great resource. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. Um, and of course, with any type of creative creative effort, you're going to get negative pushback as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that, that that's normal. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's any more, um, I don't think it's, it's higher than, than, than say any other type of book. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're going, but because of the nature of the podcast and the story itself, you do get, you know, a few wacko birds. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the the first day that the book um, became available on Amazon, I be I I got wind um, on Twitter <laughs> that uh, there was a, a whole group of individuals that hate me. They call them trolls. Um, they they conspired to go on Amazon at 12.01 a.m. as soon as the book was available and give it a bunch of one-star reviews. So, like, the first six hours of the first day, there were probably about seven different or seven to 12 different one-star reviews. Um, wow. But they were all unverified purchases from these people that just make it a, a point to, to hate me publicly. Mm. So... <laughs> Um, Imagine you know, spending your time like people that. People actually started to read the book and and post their own reviews. Of course, that 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 skewed things more yeah. accurately. Right, right. Now, I saw one of the criticisms in those kind of one star reviews is that oh, she's just you know capitalizing off this murder and she's just trying to make a buck. But yeah, that doesn't really make any sense to me because you have a right to your own experiences. Whatever happens, you know, you have a right to say your exactly. own story. Exactly, and that's something that that's so hurtful to me, and it's something that I even after writing the book, um, like I said, uh, when I. When I started writing the journal and it first came to me, you know, that, um, like I said, through my friend, you know, the idea of, of writing a book, um, it wasn't something that I wanted anything to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it weren't for the encouragement of family and friends, it would have never come to fruition because, you know, I just, it, it was so hard to put myself out there like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea that anyone would purposely do that for a dollar is ridiculous mm-hmm. to me. Um, and so when I see comments like that, it is it is very hurtful to me. And it's, and it's something that I knew was going to happen just because of the, like I said, the nature of the podcast being so popular. But... On the, on the flip side, it's like just because the podcast went viral, that doesn't take away from like what you said is is my my right to mm-hmm. tell my story and tell it in in the 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 way that I see fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, a lot of people question me. You know, why didn't you write a blog? You could have put it on a blog. Um, to me, I don't see the internet as being permanent. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. say the internet is forever. Once you put something on the internet, it's there forever. Um, but I don't see it that way mm-hmm. because, you know, say I get a website and I put it all on my website or I put it all on my blog. If I stop paying my hosting, right. that goes away. Uh-huh. And then the only living record of what I had to say is going to be in screenshots, mm-hmm. you know, or people secondhand um, retelling of my story. And that's not what I wanted. I wanted it in a book. I wanted it in a hardcover. I wanted it to be something that's going to be on a library shelf 30, mm-hmm. 50, 60 years from now. And if someone is interested in what happened to to the people that I knew, and mm-hmm. if someone is interested in knowing what it was like for me, I want them to be able to access that directly from me 60 years from now. Yeah, well, I absolutely agree with that, yeah. Um, so have you read or listened to the podcast of Rabia Chaudhry does, Undisclosed, and, and have you read her book, The Adnan Story? Unfortunately, I haven't, mm-hmm. um, and it, it drives me crazy because I really do want to listen to it. Mm-hmm. But I know that there's a lot of information in there that I probably should not have swimming around in my head right now. Okay. And um, I don't know if there's any journalistic uh, bias. Um, I can only assume, because she is a close family friend, that mm-hmm. there might be. And um, I'm trying my best to keep my opinions um, as non-biased and, and neutral as possible because um, it's kind of funny throughout this entire situation. Actually, hold on one second. I have toddlers. <laughs> Give me one second. Hold You're fine. On. Sorry about that. Um, no, that's why I have a two-year-old son, which you, know. you may have heard in the background here, too, so it's I understand. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that guy on BBC. I know. I was just thinking of that yeah. guy. <laughs> that's my life, basically. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm literally walking around the house trying to run away from them this whole interview. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my son was crying outside the door. Daddy, why are you on the phone? <laughs> but, uh, oh, you were asking about uh, the podcast and mm-hmm. the book. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? Um, throughout the whole experience uh, leading up to the post-conviction hearing, Mm -hmm. and even since then, I have literally been made an enemy of the state of Maryland. Mm. Um, And because of the way that they have regarded my testimony and treated me um, as a a human being, Mm -hmm. um, I find myself feeling often very guarded. in terms of integrity. Uh, When I wrote my book, I made it a point to have my attorney read my book Mm. before uh, because my goal in writing the book is not to damage my credibility, it's not to damage my integrity, but to merely find a way to express my feelings and my thoughts and my experience. Mm -hmm. And so I did not want to do anything that was going to, I always say, muddy the waters of justice. And so that would be the same type of issue or conflict of interest that I think listening to the other podcast and reading Robbie's mm-hmm. book would have. I, the last thing I would want is to actually be involved in a retrial and have it used against mm-hmm. me that I've been somehow um, influenced by knowing information that's been presented in those sources. And so I make it a point to steer clear of that for now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a day at some point when when I'm going to get caught up with everyone Mm -hmm. else in the world. Um, And it is extremely hard not to dive into those sources, but I think in the the interest of justice, Mm -hmm. um, that it's best that, that I just... I ride the narrow path, you know what I mean? Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. That's good thinking. Um, so we're getting near the hour mark, and I re- really appreciate you taking the time here. You've been very generous. Um, and uh, my, I always ask this question at the end, uh, what music have you been listening to lately? <laughs> what music? Um, besides Kids Bop? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like Rihanna's Anti, uh-huh. but I can only listen to it in earphones, so, you know. <laughs> that's more of a personal that's experience That's what I'm rocking when I'm washing the dishes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I know my Pandora's a mess with having a, having a two-year-old son. It's, it's, um... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Try when you have outdoor speakers and you find yourself running by the uh, sound system in the garage, like, no, no, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, is there, is there anything else I didn't ask you about that you want to get in here? Is there anything I didn't ask you about? You didn't ask me where people can purchase the book. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Plug. <laughs> uh, it, basically, anywhere books are sold, but uh, the primary sources would be on Amazon.com. And also, um, I do have personalized or autographed copies available on my website, AsiaMcLean.com. Cool. Well, I uh, haven't, yeah, I haven't read the book yet, but I really, I really want to. And once I do, I'd love to talk to you again. And um, yeah, cool. thank you, thank you so much for for taking the time again, and you've been very generous with your time. So. Alrighty. Well, you have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Bye. Alright. Bye. <laughs>
you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast everywhere it's available, which includes iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. It really helps. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Until next time.